Hi, I'm Heather Knight, and this is the Surviving to Thriving podcast. One in four women will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. We're going to discuss the taboo topic of domestic violence and the tools our thrivers have used to succeed in life. We want you to know that you are not alone in this fight. Please keep listening if you or anyone you know has been impacted by domestic violence. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, Night Protection Services, for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Surviving to Thriving. Today I have with us Florida Duvall Dudley. She is the founder of Shining Light in Darkness, and it is her desire to help victims and survivors of sexual assault and domestic violence heal their minds, bodies, and spirits, and reclaim their lives. It is also her heartfelt desire to assist others to use their voice by refusing to be silent about the hidden traumas, suppressed memories, and traumatic experiences they have endured. Florida, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Definitely. So I just want to kind of get a little bit of background from you. What was your childhood like, college, high school areas? What really brought you into what you're doing now? It would definitely start from my childhood that led me to be where I am now. But as far as growing up, it was your typical two-parent home with my siblings and everything. Finished high school, went to college, got um, my bachelor's and my master's degree, etc. And that is, that. that's it. But again, going back to my childhood, that's what led me to Shining Light. Um, because I was molested at seven in the first grade. And when I tried to tell my first grade teacher about um, what had happened to me, and she looked at me as if I had said something wrong. And so I immediately retreated and ran off like a kid would do. And from that point on, my entire life was changed. The trajectory of my life was changed from that moment on. Definitely. So growing up when you were able to kind of figure out what had actually happened was that right there at the age of seven or did it kind of take a little bit because I know children don't really have the vocabulary or the wherewithal to know that that's not a normal thing or that you know it's not something that one they shouldn't have been shamed for but how did that kind of feed into your later years as a kid? Well, because I knew that that was wrong. And when I tried to tell my teacher my exact words, I remember it like yesterday, I simply told her that my uncle so-and-so put his penis inside me. And she's probably, I'm just thinking being a kid, she's probably like, she's just making something up. But why would a seven-year-old make up something like that about a, a relative or anyone for that matter? And so from that point on as a child, I was mischievous. I Because I was hurting, I hurt others growing up. Like I said, it was your typical family. But at the same time, I my mom kept me by her side because of how I was acting out which I didn't tell her until in an extensive time later about what happened. Did that stem from your, your teacher really failing you and failing your trust? And so you didn't really think that you could tell your mom or were you, what was the 
it seems like, I know we've talked before, it seems like once she found out she was supportive of, you know, what you were going through, but that maybe at, at seven, she obviously didn't know what was happening. Yeah, I would definitely say because my teacher was an adult and that incident happened to me that morning right before going to school. So my mom, she was at work and the first person, the other adult outside of the person that did that to me was my teacher. And so again, I remember it like yesterday, I interrupted her talking to another adult trying to tell her what had happened to me. And because of the look that was on her face and she asked me what I was talking about and I was like, okay, nothing. And I just went on like a kid supposed to in first grade. And it, it changed my viewpoint on a lot of things, but especially telling my mom after she didn't believe me, I was just like, okay, uh, my mom won't believe me and I may get in trouble. So I didn't want to get in trouble or anything like that. So I kept it to myself. Yeah, I guess my next question would be at what point, like what was high school? Like, were you able to, you know, start therapy then or were you able to tell your mom then or did it kind of carry all the way through to your adult years? It carried on through my adult years in high school. It was no different other than me still not knowing that it was wrong because I thought that that was something natural because I never heard anybody else talk about it. That was not a subject that was ever brought up in our household nor in school about safe touch and all of that that they have now. What was the turning point? Because obviously you're now doing great work and you're able to talk about this situation and you have you know, gone through extensive healing. So what was that turning point and what, what made you have that decision to say, okay, this isn't going to control my life anymore? Okay, so I come from a family of entrepreneurs. So I knew I wanted to start my own business. And at the time, no one in my family had a nonprofit. And I definitely wasn't looking to start a nonprofit for myself. I worked for nonprofits and I was fine with that, but I wanted a for-profit business. But at the same time, um, because I'm a spiritual person, I listened to the inner voice and they were like, okay, you're going to start this foundation and this is the name of it. And I was like, okay, I didn't have the genesis of exactly what it was, but I had the name which was Shining Light in Darkness. And I incorporated it in November, 2014. And so 2015, when I was in a horrific car accident, those suppressed memories from seven-year-old Florida resurfaced, Pandora box was open and it could not be closed. No medication could numb it. No medication could actually help it because I have never dealt with it, period. And that is when this journey of truly understanding what Shining Light and Darkness was supposed to be and how it's supposed to be for others that experience what I experienced or similar experiences to what I experienced. So you, I mean... It sounds like through to get through high school, college, and your master's degree, you just kind of 
suppressed everything? Is that how you dealt with it through all of those? Because high school is difficult for somebody who didn't experience this. I, you know, is that kind of how you were able to get through this? Clearly, you had to have good grades if you wanted to go all the way on to get your master's. And So high school, it was elementary, middle school, high school, college. Yes, but I will definitely say, like I said, I was very rebellious and mischievous because of what happened to me. And I realized all of that after researching everything um, that happens with molestation, sexual assault, etc. And the signs that I was displaying at the early age of seven, it all stemmed from that one incident. But I was curious about what I had experienced. So, of course, in high school, I had relationships with guys and etc. But I was wondering in the back of my mind, what I experienced, was it, was it natural? But it wasn't until I graduated from high school that I asked my boyfriend, did this go on in your family? Did you do this? Did you experience this? Did you see this? And he was like, no, that's not normal. So it was like my freshman year in, in college that I realized that that was not the norm that I had experienced. And so because I still wasn't comfortable talking about it, I continued to live my life, get into professions to help other people, attempted to be their savior because of what happened to me. But again, I was suppressing everything instead of actually dealing with it. And I wish I would have known what I know now and I would have just really made my voice heard by my teacher and I would have felt more comfortable sharing it with my mom versus in my early 20s. Definitely. Um, just hitting on that a little bit, what advice if, you know, I don't think a six-year-old is going to be listening to this podcast, but for anybody who may be in their teen years that did experience that, what advice do you have for them now to start this journey maybe a little bit earlier? Tell any and everybody, because you think that they're not listening to you. If you feel like your parents won't listen to you, you if you feel like your, your parents or your teachers or any loved one won't believe you, go to a complete stranger because most of the time, all of these incidents are, are, are perpetrated by someone that we know versus a stranger. So, of course, sometimes a stranger will believe you before your family or your friends. So, just tell any and everybody, make your voice heard. Do not be silenced. Do not give up. I mean, even call 911 because they will listen and they will investigate it because they don't take this lightly anymore, which I'm very thankful and grateful for now. Definitely. And then also the parent or teacher or adult that has somebody come to them with this this information, what advice do you have for them? My advice to them is to believe the victim. It's not your right to discount what they're saying because nobody in their right mind, young or old, would make up that they were sexual assaulted. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people that do make up the stories. But 99% of the individuals that come to someone saying that I was assaulted, 
I was raped. I was molested. It happened. If my uncle touched me this way, my grandfather, my dad, and in cases where the mom does it too, you have to listen to them. Always believe them. Be their sounding board where they can feel comfortable sharing with you because you're the starting point of their healing. Definitely. I love that. So then going back to your high school, talking to your um, boyfriend in freshman year and, and having that kind of breakdown and you said that there was really no healing from that, but you've clearly healed. So what was the next step that you took after all of that happened? And you said that there was a, a car accident that happened as well, it had it all flooding back. What were the next steps that you took to begin that process? So my first step to actually somewhat get some help with the molestation is with my husband, well, my, my current husband, was me telling him bits and pieces starting off when we were dating because he was a very affectionate and emotional person and how he raised his kids and how I raised my kids were completely different. So I was more of a shelter protector mom, like trying to prevent it from happening to my daughters. Whereas he, because that was foreign to him, he never even thought about sexual assault, molestation, anything like that. So his daughters sat on his lap all the time. But when my daughter sat on his lap, I really tensed up. I freaked out completely. And he didn't understand what was going on with me, but he saw my facial expression. So I was like, could you please get her off your lap? He was like, I didn't do anything. I was like, I know, but get her off your lap. <laughs> and he was like, okay. <laughs> and so because I knew he didn't understand what was going on, not right then and there, because I had to get the strength to actually tell him what had happened to me because again i'm making myself vulnerable to him and because we are in a serious relationship and dating because i don't bring any just anyone around my kids he he was someone that i trusted and so i was like okay i was molested at seven years old and that's why i freaked out with my daughter being on your lap he was like okay now it makes sense and i was like okay good and so him and I, we started having questions, discussions, and it was more me questioning him and him having the discussion with me because, again, we had been together for maybe two years at this time. So I did trust him. So I started bits and pieces sharing it and asking him questions about how he grew up. So... This is the second person that I felt comfortable with asking certain questions. And so he was like, no, I didn't experience anything like that. And I was like, really? I said, I really thought this was normal. So we started talking more about what happened to me in detail. So he was like, okay, I know you're not going to do it right now where you're at. But when we get married and you move here, I'm going to make sure you get a therapist because you need a therapist because um, I can't do you any justice. So I was like, okay, no, you're my therapist. I trust you. 
and I'm not going to share all of my most personal, intimate details with a complete stranger. So little did I know that that was just the beginning process of what was to come. And so I didn't go into real in-depth about what happened to me, but I had no other choice in 2015 because on top of the accident, I suffered PTSD from that accident. And then I was dealing with PTSD from my traumatic childhood experience. And he was getting the brunt of everything negative and everything that was suppressed. He knew about it all. And he was a true husband <laughs> to, to listen to some of the, for me, I call it the filthiest part of my life and to, to support me and to love me in spite of all of that mess that I had to deal with. And up until this day, I'm still dealing with it. I'm, I'm now um, not a therapist, but a psychiatrist. I'm currently looking for a psychiatrist during this time because I, I was in denial about a lot of stuff. And I didn't want to come to reality, per se, about the stuff that was really causing me to be off balance, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, holistically. And had I listened to the PA when I went to the doctor, he went with me back in 2016, um, when she told me I needed a psychiatrist, I would have been much further along in my healing process, which I am still, but I could have been in a much better place um, right now. But it's a process, and he has supported me tremendously through this journey of healing and becoming whole and productive, not just for um, my family, but for the people I serve. Definitely. I think that is amazing that he is able to be that support system. A lot of, you know, the guests that we've had on the show and what we talk about is that you need that one person that you can trust and that you can give your whole self to because, you know, everybody thinks that they can, they have to do it on their own and that they, you know, nobody else will understand what they're going through. And it's true. They may not understand what you're going through, but they can still sympathize and empathize with you to help you move through that journey. So I think that is amazing that you were able to one, find that person and that they were willing to be that person for you. Definitely. So I want to ask you what now being in the spot that you're at today, the significance and importance of finding a therapist that you trust and that you want to go to, because that is a huge one. It's a huge stigma of like, I don't want to go to therapy because everybody's going to think I'm crazy or, you know, something like that. But also just the um, ability to open and share, like, like you said. So to you, what is the significance of doing that? And at what point should you start looking for a therapist? 
and how did you go about finding one that fit for you? So finding a therapist, psychiatrist, psychologist is a big step. But in order to do that, the first step for any victim or survivor of any type of traumatic experience is first to accept it and acknowledge it. Because in order to change or to see a difference, you can't be in denial anymore. You have to basically own what has happened to you. Um, not saying that it was your fault or anything is just saying, okay, I acknowledge that this happened to me and I'm not going to allow this to control my life anymore. It has robbed me for however long it has robbed me and I refuse to let it rob me anymore of my health, my sanity, etc. because it messes with you holistically and most of all the physical effect of not seeking uh, professional help for, I would, for me, I experienced domestic violence with my first husband and I almost died at his hands on a cruise. And I honestly thought that that was the most traumatic experience that I had experienced in my life until I went to a therapist. And so when the therapist asked me what was the most traumatic experience with me that had happened to me, that was the first thing that I told her, almost dying at the hands of my first husband. But because I fully didn't trust my therapist, my husband was right there with me. And uh, he looked at me real funny. He was like, really? That, that is, that's your most traumatic experience? And I was like, yeah, I almost died. And he was like, Florida, come on. Why are you here? I was like, I'm talking to her. <laughs> and he was like, no. What memories did you suppress? Again, he was my therapist before I had a therapist. So He's walking me through it so I could be open and transparent with her. And so I was like, okay. When I told her it was being molested at seven, I broke down in tears and I boohoo. I had so many different feelings and all of this and that that I didn't even realize that I had. And so a therapist will help you come to grips come to reality with a lot of stuff that you don't want to remember or don't even want to think about, but it's their job to help you through this process. And you have to be honest. You have to be transparent because if you're not, you're not going to get the help, necessary help that you need. And again, um, seeking a therapist, you can actually have your doctor to do a referral of someone that he trusts or she trusts, or you can ask a relative if they have attended seeing a psychiatrist or therapist, you could ask them for recommendations, or you can just do some research on your own and go with your gut instinct about who you feel more comfortable with opening up and sharing. But it's a process and it's a journey and it's not gonna be easy. But finding and seeking help is definitely very important for any victim and survivor of traumatic experiences. Definitely 100% agree. And I, I think that 
even if you, you pick one and you don't like them and you don't feel comfortable with them, it's okay to choose another person. Therapists want you to feel comfortable with whoever to, to open up. And they, you know, a lot of people have this feeling of uh, false loyalty almost saying, well, this is who I went to first. So I, I feel obligated to continue working with them. And I, I will tell you that therapists want you to have somebody that you're comfortable with, even if it's not them. So if you don't feel comfortable with that person, it's okay to continue to look for somebody else that you want to share these intimate details with. Yeah, definitely. So I kind of want to dive into a little bit of shining a light in darkness. And you said you have the name and, you know, you had this inkling that you, you were going to use it for something good. At, at what point, I know you said that the, with the, the car accident, it kind of like came all flooding back and you realized that was kind of what you wanted, needed to do. But what was that process like of trying to figure out truly that is what this was supposed to be? Again, I'm a very spiritual person. And after that accident, it was just, I was an emotional wreck. I was physical ill, not just from the accident, but from those suppressed emotions. I physically was a size two, four from all of that. And I, I was just a mess. I didn't know if I was coming or going. The meds for the injuries I sustained in the car accident had me up 24 hours. And then because at the time I didn't know know that I was depressed or anything like that. I was taking antidepressants and then I was taking panic attack meds. I was just taking bukus of medicine. And then during this time, this voice, it was like, okay, with you trying to, you see how you feel trying to deal with these memories that have resurfaced? Imagine how many other people are out there that's attempting to deal with just a small piece of what you're dealing with and how they may feel. Because I was messed up from the accident, but I was more messed up in my mind than anything trying to not remember all of the, the, the details about what had happened to me. Because... To this day, it doesn't bother me anymore. It's just a part of my story that that I'm able to help other people where I remember very vividly what I had on, where it happened, everything to a T. It's just like a photo that has just been embedded into my memory and it just kept replaying over and over again. And then not just that part of the story, the second part of the story was when I went to my teacher and trying to tell her about it. So I got this incident replaying in my mind. Then I got this teacher looking at me as if I was saying something wrong. And I would get angry. I would get upset. I would cry. I would question God. I, I, I was in a bad place in 2015 completely. And that was when 
that little small still voice was like, you're dealing with this about what happened to you. This is why shining light and darkness exists. I was like, no, I didn't agree to share my personal information. I said I was going to help people. I was fine with that. But I didn't sign up to share my most personal, most vulnerable, intimate stuff about what happened to me dealing with my family. I was like, no, I'm not going to do this. But because I refused, it was still there in what I supposed to do, but I, I didn't agree to it. But then in 2016, things didn't get any better. So I was like, you know what? If this is what I supposed to do, I submit to it in everything because I don't want anybody else to ever feel how I feel trying to deal with someone that didn't believe me about my story. So yeah, I'll be the voice for the voiceless. I will help them as much as I can, however I can. And so I became that voice for them. I think that's amazing. I, I want to talk about your faith a little bit because a lot of people that have come on the show have talked about how their faith has, you know, been the driving force in helping them overcome trauma. But you said something, you said that you were questioning God, you were questioning, you know, everything that, that happened. And so my question is, how did your, what was your faith journey like on this? How did you continue to still say, okay, this little voice is telling me what to do, but I'm still questioning this little voice because of everything that happened. So how did you overcome that battle in your mind, basically? It wasn't an easy process. Just like anybody that have experienced traumatic events in their lives and not just one but multiple ones so after the accident I started experiencing other traumatic experiences in my life when I say that this stuff really messes with your health by keeping them suppressed and not getting that stuff out it's toxic to you so I was in multiple car accidents after that traumatic car accident then they wanted to tell me that I had breast cancer and both of my breasts and my faith was very low. I wasn't even on the fumes. I didn't have a mustard seed of faith. And I grew up in a religious, traditional, spiritual family. And I know about God. I know about Jesus Christ. I've accepted him as my Lord and Savior. All of that good stuff. But when you start going through life, taking life's journey, and you have different roadblocks, different hindrance, different obstacles to come into your life, put you on a pit stop that you never volunteered for or never said that that was something you wanted to go through, it, it really messes with your faith big time. And so for me, how my faith was restored through all of this. And again, that's why seeking professional help to get you through this journey out of this, this darkness that sexual assault or any traumatic experience does to you is by having someone there to guide you and lead you through it. But again, I'm still personal. I don't personal. I don't want everybody in my business, regardless to me seeing a therapist and everything. I was like, you know what? I said, Lord, um, I 
need you to help me get through this situation with the breast cancer because they found mass in both my breasts. And I was like, I've been going through some stuff for these past five years. I said, I know you don't have to prove yourself to me whatsoever. I said, but where I am and where I'm at right now in my life and in this journey called life, I can't deal with this anymore. And I said, to have a diagnosis of having both cancer in both of my breasts, I still get emotional about that. I said, you have to do something because my faith in you, it's not there. I said, you don't have to prove yourself to me. But so my faith can be restored in you. I need this to be a clean bill of health so I can know that you still exist and that you're real. And so I waited for the results to come in because you couldn't, nobody could go back in there with you. And so after waiting for an hour, the nurse came back. She said, the doctor being here to talk with you. And I was like, okay, it really got real then because she didn't show any type of emotions whatsoever. And I was like, okay. I said, I just need you to prove yourself. That's all I kept telling myself over and over again. And she left out and I cried because I didn't know what was what. And so by that time, the doctor came in. He just said that there was some lymph nodes in my breast and just to make sure that I do the exam every year. I was like, okay. He was like, you're good to go. Just make sure you do it every year. We don't want anything to catch you by surprise. Okay. When he left, I got dressed just like that very quick. I got in the car. My husband was waiting on me. Oh, my God. I cried for maybe an hour to two hours straight because I was like, he hears me. He was listening to me. My faith was restored. And after that, I, regardless to how I may feel sharing my story or, um, or helping someone regarding sexual assault and domestic violence, I think about how I was in that low place and how my faith in God was renewed in I've just been moving forward ever since. That is amazing. I think it's so incredible to hear stories of how faith just works, right? There's no explanation for it, but it just works. Yes. Um, but I want to know what is Shining Light and Darkness doing right now for these women? Shining Light and Darkness, due to COVID-19... We're not seeing people face to face, but we are still here available for them. If what we can't do, we do referrals. If they need to see a therapist, psychiatrist, we do the referral. And if they need a listening ear or sounding board, we're here. Any type of support that they need, we're here. We just can't do it face to face anymore. And some of them, they need a hug. And having a good old fashioned hug, it really soothes the soul and I know a lot of them are missing that right about now. Definitely. What were you guys doing prior to COVID-19 and what are you looking to do after COVID-19? So what we were doing was 
well, what's called what we were currently working on before COVID-19 with the local dentist for a survivor of domestic violence was she lost her teeth and it's a program that we have give us shining smile back. And we were in the process of giving her her smile back because she has now a two-year-old son that she never smiled in any pictures because of the loss of her teeth. And we do everything for the victims and survivors pro bono, but we just don't do it just saying that we're going to do it. There has to be proof and evidence of domestic violence or sexual assault so they can receive the services. That is the last project that we are currently still working on just waiting for COVID to clear so we can give her her shiny smile back. Aside from the advocacy and everything, fundraisers to help the victims and survivors, those are some of the things that we're doing. Educating, of course, is key to everything that we do. Definitely, that's amazing. Um, Just, I don't think I mentioned, um, where are you guys located? We are located in North Carolina, home base, but we operate in a global capacity. And currently, we are licensed to operate in Mississippi and Georgia. So we are um, wanting to expand in those two um, states. Next. Awesome. If somebody wanted to help, what would be the best way for them to support your organization? They can actually go to our website, www.slidfmd.org. And they can donate, they can um, donate financially, they can volunteer because time is definitely a valuable resource that you never can get back. And we value any and everyone that come out and volunteer and support us in our endeavor, helping the victims and survivors. What are some of your volunteer opportunities in case somebody's looking for an exact thing, maybe a college student needs credits or something? Yeah, we do have internship that's available. So for the intern, we have social media that we look for people in. We look for um, students or people in general that have fundraising skill sets, as well as graphic designers, marketing as a whole, and just administrative support and sponsorship, of course. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh, we are the same. So when I first started this podcast, my husband literally sat behind the camera and Uh like we had a whiteboard where he'd write everything down and say, say this. (laughs) So I love it. I love it. I love it. He's right here. He's doing the same identical thing because I forgot about sponsorship. (laughs) And he was like, sponsorship. (laughs) And I'm just like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. That is amazing. We we did the same exact thing. Oh, that just oh, that made me chuckle. Um, <laughs> okay. So I so moving forward, twenty twenty one. What are um, some huge goals that you guys have for Shining Light and Darkness? The biggest goal that we are hoping for is to solidify funding for Shining Light and Darkness where all of the expenses um, that we incur does not come directly from my husband and I, but actually comes from the foundation, whether it's a grant, key donors or sponsors that help us to have our programs active and going. That is the key, the biggest thing that we're looking forward to 2021. 
amazing. I know even, you know, from us being a nonprofit, that is such a huge goal for all of us to just be able to help our clients without hindrance. So I know that that's amazing. Wrapping up, we have a few questions that we ask everybody that comes on the podcast, but I just want to ask you, is there anything that you want to say that we haven't touched on yet that you think is important for the people listening? No, I believe we've touched on everything, but I just want to tell the listeners that do not allow your voice to be silent. Your voice has power. Always speak up and speak out because your story, just like mine's, could save someone else's life. And always, I don't care who it is, whether it was a prostitute or, a, a, as they call it, a woman in the street that was coming to tell you that she was assaulted. Believe her, it's not your place to judge her because nobody ever wants or deserve to be um, abused by anything. We definitely need the men. Can you please take a stand? Because it starts with you guys. Granted, women are the most defined victims, but men, you guys experience it too. And we need you to please take a stand with us regarding sexual assault and domestic violence because we can't do it by ourselves. Yes, women are on the forefront of it, but at the end of the day, it's the men that has the power to make the change that we want to see. Because our vision for Shining Light and Darkness is to see a world free from sexual and domestic violence. And so in order to do that, we really need you guys to take that stand with us. Awesome. I love it. I think that is so, so important. A lot of times men get left out of this discussion when they are a pivotal point in this discussion. So thank you for yes. saying that. But going on to our questions, the first question is, what would the new you say to the old you? You should have done this a long time ago. <laughs> I love you it. should have made sure somebody heard you versus trying to be somebody else's savior. You should have saved yourself. You should have been persistent like you are now. That's yeah. what the new being would have told the seven-year-old Florida. I love it. And then what is something that you can recommend to our listeners to help them through a tough situation? If you're not comfortable going to a therapist just yet, find someone that you truly trust and value in your life. Start sharing with them so you can start your healing process because I found out in therapy to deal with one trauma by itself it takes 12 to 18 months to adequately heal from it so if that's one of the traumatic experiences if you have five traumatic experiences and you haven't even dealt with any of them you're not going to you're going to be able to function because you learn how to function with your traumatic experiences but at the same time it's not healthy for you because it takes its toll on your body and you need to get that toxic stuff out of you start opening up with someone if you don't have anyone feel free to reach out to me i'm on instagram facebook linkedin you can contact me via email florida at shining well s-l-i-d-f-n-d.org reach out to me i'm here for you if you don't think anybody believe you or is there for you 
I'm here for you. I love it. And then what is a book, podcast, ebook, or quote that you can recommend to our listeners that just kind of has helped you through a tough time? Honestly, people are going to say it's cliche, but during that dark time, that Bible, it actually helped me. And because of where I was at, because I had gotten so numb to everything that was going on me, going on with me, I just cried out to God and asked for some, some guidance. And because again, I was numb and I couldn't feel anything. So I started getting piercings um, and tattoos. It was the story of the man that was in the graveyard that was abuser of himself. And that story, I've heard it so many times and ministered to me in the pulpit multiple times. But during that dark time, that was like one of the things that resonated with me because I needed to feel something. It didn't matter how I was feeling it, whether I hurt myself or abused myself. I just needed some way to feel like I still existed. And my mom, she casually joked, she was like, you was really low. I was like, yes, I was. Nobody will ever understand how low I was, but I'm much better now because um, here I am. God heard me and he sent me to that particular scripture where it helped me to actually feel a little life again to understand what was going on with myself. Awesome. I love it. And then I know you gave your email address, but the what is a, a good way that they can reach you? I know you said you're on social media, but how do they find you on social media? Okay. On Facebook, there's a page for the foundation, Shining Light in Darkness. And then I have uh, my Facebook, Florida Dudley on Facebook. And then we have Shining Light on Instagram. Um, we have Twitter as well and Shining Light in Darkness. And also we have my personal email address and then we have Shining Light's email address, which is info at org, And also our phone number is 919-791-5578. If they want to reach out via phone, they can do that as well. And definitely they can always go to the website www.slidfnd.org. <clears throat> I love it. And then I know that in our previous conversations, you have a podcast that you are trying to restart. And so <laughs> what two things, where can it be found? And are you looking for guests? And if so, how do they find you to be a guest on your show? So definitely we are um, definitely wanting survivors to share their story because that is what that platform is set up for and it is on Patreon and it's under shine light and darkness. So one unique thing about our organization is because we know that in this lifetime that we may not see our vision, but we have a millennial advisory board because we know that they are the future. So we want to get them on board with, with becoming a change that we want to see and involved in it. So we have them as well. So we definitely um, invite millennials, young, old, and we're also currently in the process of looking for new board members for the general board as well as the millennial board. So we are definitely trying to change for the better to see our vision um, be birthed. 
I love it. Florida, thank you so much for sharing your story. I know that it is exhausting and emotionally draining. So I always am so grateful when I have people come on to share their story. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you again for having me, Heather. If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at 2thrivingatl, T-O thriving ATL, or online at 2thriving.org.